Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ta-da. Do people still say ta-da? My dad says cheerio, which I quite like. Bong, bong, bong. Yes. Hello, welcome shoppers. It's Will Young here. It's a well-being lab. If you'd clicked on something else and you thought it was an Archer's omnibus, sorry, I'm not one of the Archers. Well, today I'm talking to Professor June Tangney, who is a professor of psychology at George Mason University. We're talking about shame and guilt. Quite interesting, actually. What is shame and guilt? Is shame sometimes a good thing? Anyway, it was really, it was really fascinating talking to her. I started off by asking her what got her interested in moral emotions. Well, you know, back in, at the time, and this is, you know, in the late 70s, uh, well, especially in the 80s, people didn't really pay that much attention to emotion. Emotions were problematic because you know, mostly you have to rely on self-report. People were only really interested in like facial expressions of emotion, studying that, okay, we can observe that. At that time, psychology wanted to be a very, very scientific science. And so experiences inside that you have to self-report were kind of looked at as kind of pseudoscience. Shame and guilt are emotions that are developed fairly late in uh, infancy, uh, early childhood. They kick in much later than anger and happiness and joy and fear and like that, which are there in the first six months or so. And we don't have clear facial expressions for shame and guilt. So there wasn't much research on these emotions until really the beginning in the 1980s. And who were the pioneers that then started to to look at that? Well, I was really heavily influenced by Helen Block Lewis, a psychologist who worked partly as a research psychologist with Henry Witkin. He was interested in field dependence versus field independence. So, you know, can you see the the uh, image of the older woman or the young woman in the yes kind of modern art, that kind of thing. And she was also a, a trained psychoanalyst. And she's the one who came up with this distinction between shame and guilt, which is very different from the way most people have thought about it for many, many years. So typically, if you ask people, what's the difference between shame and guilt, they'll say, oh, Shame is when people know what you've done when you're publicly exposed. It's a public emotion. Guilt is a more private affair between yourself and your your own conscience. That's interesting, actually. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, if you ask college students, like a good third of them will come up with something along those lines. And um, it goes back, really, um, this was popularized by anthropologists back in the 
50s and 60s, Margaret Mead, Ruth Benedict. And nobody ever really tested out that question, though. And we did. It's really easy. We just asked people, children, adults, anonymously write about a time when you felt shame and a time when you felt guilt. And people wrote pretty much about the same kinds of transgressions and failures. But when they wrote about shame, it was like, I'm a bad person for having done that, as opposed to I did a bad thing versus I'm a bad person. And it turns out that both shame and guilt are pretty public. People know about, you know, when we misbehave, when we fail or transgress in some way, usually somebody knows. We feel the eyes of others when we feel shame, but that's partly because we're self-focused. I'm such a bad person. So could shame be a projected thing or does it have to come initially when we think of the development of childhood and hearing you say that those kind of emotions shame and guilt come later would you say shame the beginnings of shame must come from a sort of public wronging Hmm. on the child really really interesting question Probably to some extent, because there's a couple of things that are needed to feel shame and guilt. First of all, you have to have a sense of self, you know, me separate from out there, because now I'm evaluating me or my behavior, right? A six-month-old can't do that. Most animals can't do that, right? So that takes a certain developmental maturation. The other thing is you have to have some standards, you know, what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. And we learn that from our social world, from the way people react to us. So in that sense, yes, I think that we are shamed partly because we get negative feedback. Does that make us feel shame as opposed to guilt? You know, I don't think three-year-olds can feel guilt. Make a distinction between, yes, I did a bad thing and I can still be a good person. Like before I had children, I used to give advice to parents, (laughs) you know, like, oh, if your child has, you know, misbehaved, you have to be really be careful. You you don't say, Johnny, you know, you're such a bad boy. You're always making a mess as opposed to Johnny, you did a bad thing. Yeah, we can hear the difference, but a three-year-old or a four-year-old just hears, I'm bad, you know. It's so fascinating to think of these sort of incubation and the birth of shame in someone's life, because I'm thinking of, while I'm hearing you talk, and and it's just coming up for me now, of two areas, the family, and then I'm thinking of wider society. Peers. Peers, yeah. So then maybe the education system and possibly a sort of religious system. Those, Those, to me, feel like the four areas where shame could be coming in and even more generally so to the extent that you know for people who are part of minority groups of one sort or another that are stigmatized in some ways by some groups you know that sets up for shame too so would that be like the wider world I guess then not feeling safe in a in a wider world I mean I wrote a book on gay shame and that was very much sort of one of the areas for me was just a sort of just a sense of belonging or not belonging in a wider world. 
and how where the messages are coming from. And you know, it's interesting you bring up the issue of gay shame because um, you know I've been thinking about the different things that we feel shame and guilt for. So my measures, what I assess, is how much really people feel shame or guilt when they've really done something wrong or failed, an event. You know, I hurt my friend's feelings or, you know, I lied to my my partner, you know, stuff like that. And so then the issue is like, well, is it really reasonable to feel shame? Like, are you really always a horrible person? Or is it really a behavior that you can change and be sorry about the behavior, but not like beat yourself up for being a bad person, right? But it now it's a whole different thing when you talk about feeling shame or not and sort of grappling with that when it's about something that's about you, you know, something essentialist. And then I think really the issue is reclaiming, you know, pride in self, pride in one's essence. Essence, right. Am I right in thinking that we can have healthy guilt? I mean, guilt can be a, a, a useful rudder for our life. Right. And that's exactly um, where for many years I, I was thinking that, oh, we could steer problematic feelings of shame over in that direction towards guilt. Okay, just focus on the behavior. But lately, I've also been thinking about, you know, sometimes that's not reasonable. Like, if you feel shame for being a gay man in a largely straight world, should you be feeling guilt about that? No, there's no wrong here. That's interesting. And I, I so I, what I'm making up from hearing you is that there isn't an equivalent for something like gay shame, let's say, a sort of healthy guilt that goes with it. Do you think it ever is justified to feel shame? Yes, I think that there are times, but I think it's problematic is feeling shame on a day-to-day basis, you know, every little, I mean, we all make mistakes. I do multiple times a day. It's really, really not healthy to feel shame every time you turn around and are not meeting up to your ideals or expectations or what have you. But probably, you know, once or twice or three times in a lifetime, maybe you do something and you say, you know, do I want to be that kind of person? I mean, I can think of one example, you know, myself where, you know, as a 20 something year old, I crossed a line. I got caught. And uh, my boss said, really? Is that the kind of person you want to be? And I'm like, wow, let me think about that. And that was a shame moment. And that was a useful shame moment. But I think that's relatively rare. You're not walking around how many years later beating yourself up. No, I'm glad we had that moment. I mean, it, it clarified for me what my values are. I think shame comes into so many things, actually. And one thing I'm really interested in at the moment is the ability to apologize and own a mistake. Because let's say I'd made a mistake in the past. In the past, I would not be able to go, oh, gosh, I, you know, I'm really sorry. Let's say I upset a friend. I'm really sorry. The guilt would be around for a while, but, you know, we'd have a sensible conversation about it. I would jump, let's say, straight to shame and then probably go to anger against that because I wouldn't be able to hear it. But actually, I'm, I'm in a complete shame spiral because I've upset a friend. 
And I wonder how much shame comes into the inability for people to just simply apologize. And own, accept responsibility and sit with the discomfort that you did something counter to your own values and that hurt somebody. I wonder if that comes from childhood when parents, if you're shamed for doing something wrong, do you think people get triggered back into that state even in adulthood? I hadn't quite thought about it that way, although it certainly is possible because shame is um, certainly, I think, much more overwhelming and we're much less able to manage it as children. But even in the moment now, shame really does kind of put you between a rock and a hard place. You know, the issue isn't a behavior that you can change easily or relatively easily and where you can make amends. But really, you're talking about finding the self flawed in some fundamental way and then somehow fix it how do people fix it well I think you know it depends on what the issue is so if it really was a behavior not a repeated chronic behavior that you're always lying to somebody and you're just a big liar but you lied to somebody and you feel bad about that and if you're feeling ashamed about that to really sort of do the kind of double checking with yourself well gee is that something about you all the time or is this this one time if it's a one-time kind of deal what harm did it cause and how can you make amends for that harm or what are your plans for the future so you don't repeat it but I also think there are times where we feel both shame and also guilt when we shouldn't and the guilt thing for example that really comes up with COVID. Really? Well, there was survivor guilt. You know, why am I not getting sick and other people are? Why do I get to stay home and have a job where I can work remotely, but the person working at Safeway can't? There was a period of time with vaccination guilt, you know, like I got it fairly early because I'm affiliated with a hospital. Can I just give it to the lady at the drugstore you know who sees like 20 million people every day no no you can't do that you know I think there's there are times where people feel guilt because they survived and thrived and other people didn't those kinds of things and and really you know I think it's worth not trying to make amends for it but to really really say you know is it reasonable to feel you know is this really a zero sum game did you really take something away from somebody else ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me gigi palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And I'm interested in, in what guilt does to someone 
as opposed to what shame might do to someone? Well, with guilt, they talk about action tendencies that are associated with different emotions. So like aggression is one of the action tendencies associated with anger, for example. We don't always become aggressive when we're angry, obviously, but that is one of the action tendencies. One of the really strong action tendencies associated with guilt is to apologize, to confess, to make amends, to somehow undo the harm that was done. Shame doesn't seem to push people much in that direction. Really, there's more a tendency to want to hide, to escape, to deny, sometimes to blame other people. And I think part of the issue is, you know, shame is such an overwhelming, painful emotion. You can't easily change the self. So in the short run, you can see why it might be reasonable for somebody to say, well, no, I didn't do it. I'm going to look around for like somebody else who did is responsible for this. Damn it. You made me have that accident because you have that stupid car where the, the lights don't work. It's your fault, right? Yeah. So you sort of deflect and project onto others. Right which gets me out of the shame feeling. And it also reactivates the self, you know, anger is a powerful emotion where I am, you know, back in control. It's a huge thing to feel inherently flawed in oneself. And I, I think I heard you say, there's a thing about sort of giving back the shame. You know, this, this isn't my shame to have in the first place. I don't deserve this shame. Yeah. Have you looked at how people can, let's say, they're carrying shame not from behaviours, but sort of almost inherited from childhood, how people can release themselves from that? Liberate, I guess. I think that we as human beings end up feeling alone and apart and shamed for so many different reasons that seem so unfair, you know, whether it's the color of my skin or my level of education or my height or my weight or my sexuality or you know where i'm from or who my parents are or what my brothers did or all these kinds of things that are not really a fair way of evaluating me or you or anyone else and we don't have to agree with external societal stigma. You know, we can fight back with that. And especially by banding together, supporting one another, creating affirming communities. There's a few things you mentioned there. One thing, certainly with body shaming, I think that has been, I mean, it's not so encouraged now, but it used to be really encouraged if you opened any magazine well, there were so many celebrity magazines that would shame people for looking a certain way. It was very difficult to escape that. I'm wondering if like how much shame within society and the media has been used to try and you know, sort of control people or make them spend more money. Yes. One of the things that comes to mind is, uh, you know, concerns about water shortages, for example, on the West Coast. Now, this was a few years ago, you know, it was yet another drought. And... Uh, Somebody took a helicopter ride around Malibu. Most plots of land were all gray or in brown and like that, because you're not supposed to like water your lawn. But then 
here's this celebrity with this beautiful lush green lawn, you know, and shaming people about watering their lawns. And is that useful or not? And I always thought that was a really bad idea because it's not going to really change people's behavior that much. If anything, they're going to get defensive and say, you know, it's my water and it's my yard and I worked hard for this water and I'm careful about the environment in other ways and so forth and so on. But I just read a paper. Actually, I love this new generation because, you know, they're finding out more and more interesting and looking at things differently. So almost all of my research has looked at what are the effects on me of feeling shame or guilt? What are the effects on you for you to feel shame or guilt, right? But not much about what happens when you see me being shamed by somebody else. And it turns out that's what keeps people from doing bad things. It's observing. So that's a useful thing then? Yeah, it seems, you know, kind of... Um, it's hard to believe. Harsh. And like, you know, really painful for the person who's getting shamed. Yeah, that's funny because it brings to mind, I know someone that works, their boss is not a very nice boss and they continuously publicly shame people. And I, I guess that might be an interesting thing to talk about, the sort of publicly shaming. I mean, obviously this paper seems, I mean, I'd be interested to read the paper because I'm not sure how I, you know, sort of my heart goes, oh, I'm not sure about that. But I think a lot of people do work in environments or even are in relationships where they get publicly shamed. It's really bad, that, isn't it? I mean, it, it's sort of people bringing in others into this shaming. And we do that naturally anyway. I think, you know, it's a funny thing. Helen Block Lewis, this woman who influenced my work so much, she talked about, you know, even if you're alone, and feeling ashamed, you still feel the eyes upon you. There's something about that imagery. They must know about my flaws, not just me. It's gotta be evident to people it's that bad. As opposed to, I feel guilty. I'm not so much focused on how everybody's evaluating me, 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 but I hurt you. I did a bad thing. I hurt you. I can feel empathy. I can acknowledge and maybe even own having hurt you. If I think about it as a behavior, as opposed to, I'm just a rotten person. We have this tendency to engage in counterfactual thinking, which is a big way of saying undoing a bad thing in our head. So when something bad happens, we are just naturally drawn to say, hmm, if only X, Y wouldn't have happened. If only I had not gone to my friend's house that day. If only this, if only that. And it's really adaptive when something bad happens to try to figure out, gee, is there any way that I could behave differently in the future so that the same thing doesn't happen? So we're drawn to think about how to undo things. And the trap is that that sometimes makes us feel responsible for things we're not responsible for. So the classic thing is, gee, you know, I get into a car accident and somebody gets hurt. Well, 
if only I had left the house five minutes earlier or five minutes later, if only I had taken a different route, if only I hadn't been listening to the radio. We do that. And so that almost puts responsibility on us that we couldn't have, I mean, we didn't know to leave five minutes earlier. So their ruminations, I mean, I, they sound like sort of dead end ruminations, but that they end in sort of- Making you responsible when you weren't. Yeah. It's almost a, a knee jerk reaction that we sort of hold ourselves responsible for things. So I think it's worthwhile when, when you feel guilty to say, is that really fair? Could I have foreseen that? Could I have reasonably avoided that? A lot of times, no. A lot of times, just bad things happen. Yeah, that makes me think of acceptance, I guess. So there's a part of our brain that wants to work out, rightfully so, could I have done something different? But that can lead us into this sort of loop of self-flagellation almost. It just ends up in constantly feeling guilty. But actually, some things do just happen, mm -hmm. don't they? Yeah. And we don't have an answer for it. What about guilt and shame in terms of relation to religion? Well, you know, I joke around. Yes, I was raised Catholic. People always, that's always a question I get. You know, so, oh, you study guilt and shame. Were you raised Catholic? So here's the big surprise. I've collected data on thousands of people from all walks of life. Nobody's got a corner on shame and guilt. Atheists and agnostics have just as much shame and guilt as Jews and Catholics and Protestants and Hindus and like that. You don't really, it's remarkable that there are not systematic differences across different religions. Not for forgiveness either, by the way. Really? Yeah. Go on, say a bit more about that. That's fascinating. One of the other things I've dabbled in is forgiveness and um yeah, it's not like, you know, religious people are more forgiving than uh, atheists or agnostics. It's amazing that um, religious affiliation doesn't make as much difference. Now, the degree to which people have religious beliefs or are spiritual, that does correlate with things like health and well-being. Generally, it's nice to have some sense of where you're going. Do you think that we're becoming a more guilt, shame-driven society? Yeah, well, it seems like we it's okay to um, behave shamelessly, that somehow that's attractive. I don't understand why people are so attracted to um, others behaving in a, uh, just putting other people down, being rude. Are you talking sort of a lack of civility? Yes. Do you think we see that in politics do you think we're seeing that in things like social media does it cross over all spectrums I imagine it's quite prevalent in social media I don't spend I'm old so I don't spend much time with that um, but certainly you know we see it in politics we see it among celebrities you know I, I don't know if it's partly a, a reaction to something that really was traumatic for the whole world to go through two and a half years where we were afraid of dying and came to see other human beings as dangerous. We are social beings. We have a need to be together and to belong and to have this illness going by 
where all of a sudden, you know, people are dangerous is really, really traumatizing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, to be honest, I could carry on talking to you about this forever. Um, <sighs> but I, I'd love to finish on this final question, which is with shame, some people, and I guess we've seen moral changes over the years. So, you know, someone who was a having a child out of wedlock, not being married, might feel that that was a hugely shameful thing, dressing a certain way. And there have been sort of changes with morality that I guess are sort of widely accepted as we've modernised. What determines who might feel shame about something and who might not? Uh, That's a great question. We feel shame partly because of characteristics or behaviours that are at odds with our own values, our own standards. And then the values and standards of people who are important to us, you know, our group, our family, our significant others, that also weighs in because they are part of ourself as well, right? And I think that real issues come up where there's a discrepancy in values and where others may cause you to feel shame about some aspect of yourself. But it's really important to double check about your own values and to stay grounded in those. And I think also to be kind to the self, I think we often are quite unkind to ourselves and maybe um, treat ourselves as well as we would our best friends. Well, thank you so much. It's just been brilliant talking to you. Oh, I've enjoyed the uh, the chat too. Really, really to talk with you and uh, hear your ideas as well. Thank you for having me. You know I love it when we speak to Americans. I don't know why, Amy. I just love it. I thought she was great. She was very smiley. She had a nice smiley face. She felt kind. I think she was kind. Do let us know about that. Let us know, you know, your experiences with shame. I mean, shame covers so many different Oh, so many different areas. I mean, it is one of the big, I call it the big five, to use an old safari term. It's a big topic. Uh, Tell me your experience with shame and your experience with guilt and, uh, you know, how you get by feeling it, how you deal with it. Maybe you expunge the shame that you've carried with you. Maybe you feel guilty about, I don't know, I know it's one friend of mine just feels very guilty that they're happily married and one of their siblings isn't, and they'll always feel guilty about that. You know, so maybe that resonates with you but do get in touch and let me know. Here are your letters. I mean, they're not letters, they're emails. Uh, hey, Will, I had acupuncture for whiplash and it helped! Exclamation mark, it didn't hurt, very tiny needles. I was a bit unsure at first, but it was fine. I'm all for different types of health benefits. I've also had hypnosis for pain and it helped too. Well, thank you very much. Hi, Will. I love the podcast. It was very good to hear this season because I have ADHD and PMDD. So thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, Hey, Will. I thought I was going mad during marriage, but realised he controlled me. He passed away and I've had to juggle a family, my mum's care and find time for me to reflect. I just spent eight months in hospital from a fall. I'm sorry. I allowed my sister to look after my dog, Piper. The scars I feel are internal. Standing in a crowd, no one would have any idea how I felt. Your music and podcast have helped me a lot. Thank you. Well, that's my pleasure. And I wondered if you're messaging because you heard our episode last season with Dr. Chetna Kang on narcissism. 
Uh, and if you haven't heard it, have a listen. It's very good. She's very good. Hi, Will. I waited seven months to get a phone call with NHS mental health team this week. Chronic anxiety has stolen my life. There's nowhere near enough help out there, sadly. Do you have any free suggestions? Oh, gosh. Well, as someone that can live with chronic anxiety as well, it's all about trying to find strength in your body, getting back in your body, um, sharing with people that you trust. There are good groups out there. I mean, 12-step is very good for groups. Just to hear other people's stories can often settle you, you know, and notice the things that do, that does settle your chronic anxiety. And also don't try and force yourself to do things that your body doesn't want to do. You know, if you can't leave the house, don't force yourself to leave the house. But I would say, yeah, communication with people that really hear you. Thank you for emailing and I hope it gets better for you. Hey, Will and Amy, is it possible to please do an episode on menopause for women while we were thinking about this? It's something I'm struggling with, even though I'm quite young to be suffering from it and I find it difficult. I'm sure there are more women like me too. Yes, there are. And I think that would be a very good thing to do. Thank you for your suggestion. And as ever, email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at The Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook at The Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Thank you very much for getting in touch. I would say that was a real mixed bag of messages. And we appreciate it. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 